You're listening to This Nazarene Life, stories of young Nazarene clergy and their role models. If you're in North America, we're sponsoring a meetup at the USA-Canada Theology Conference September 28th and 29th. If you're a Nazarene pastor in your 20s or 30s, or you just like hanging out with young pastors, we'd love to have you. And if you haven't made plans to come to the conference, please do. We need your voice. For more details or to register for the main conference itself, visit the events page of our website, thisnazlife.com. And hey, if you're not in the U.S., why not host a meetup for young clergy where you are? We'd love to put that on our website too. Contact us, thisnazlife at gmail.com. Today on the podcast, we're talking with Reverend Michael Kane, or Mick as most people call him. Reverend Kane is originally from Scotland and is currently pastoring in Northern Ireland. This episode is short and sweet, but we know you're going to love Mick as much as we do. We recorded this at the Dock Coffee House in Belfast, which you should totally check out the next time you're there. Thanks for tuning in. podcast. I'm Britt Bullerjack, and I'm here with my guest, um, Michael Kane. He's the associate pastor at Carrick Fergus Church in the Nazarene. Say hello. Hi, guys. Um, I'm really curious, first of all, to hear your story about how you ended up in the Church of the Nazarene. Yeah, okay, yeah. I grew up uh, in Scotland, a city called Glasgow. Hopefully you guys can pick up my accent. Okay. Um, Glasgow is a very working class, kind of high poverty when I grew up. Um, I grew up in a Catholic family, which didn't really mean anything apart from the fact that I went to a Catholic school. My, my grandma went to, to Mass every week. Um, my mum got saved in the Church of the Nazarene uh, when I was about 11, 12, um, which meant that, that me, my mum and my sister started going to church. That didn't excite me too much as an 11, 12-year-old by, by any means, but, but I had to toe the family line and, and go to church. Um, and church didn't excite me. But over time, I began to, to notice something about the people in the Parkhead Church of the Nazarene. There was something really genuine about them, something really unique about them, something that I didn't experience uh, out in the world. Um, they, they had a love about them. They, they had a genuine interest uh, in the questions that they would ask me about, how you doing? How's school doing? How's, how's your studies? And then they would say things like this to me that, that um, didn't mean much to me at the time, but, but I would grow to realise that, that they have huge impact in my life. Michael, we pray for you every day. Um, Michael, Jesus loves you. Do you know that? Um, and that began to make a huge impact in my life um, to the extent where I, I made a commitment of faith when I was about 14, 15 on a, a youth mission. It was one of the kind of youth worship nights. Uh, typical, you guys know the scene. Uh, the, the lights are dimly lit. The, the music's emotional. People are crying and hugging each other. Um, but I genuinely felt something that night, something spiritual. Over and above the emotion, um, over and above the atmosphere, I, I felt something spiritual. And so made a commitment to Christ when, when I was uh, part of that meeting. However, I still had to go home and live in Glasgow. Still had to grow up there. And towards my late teens, uh, that got quite complicated. Got really involved with a crowd that, that liked to drink a lot, party hard, even take some, some hard drugs as well. Um, to the extent where when I was 21, I was married at the time. 
was in a real pit, was at a real low point. Kind of took a good look at my life and kind of thought, what are you doing with yourself? And then just came to a realisation. was reminded of, of the love of that group of Nazarenes in that Nazarene church. Reminded of, of the unique community, uh, the unique interest in me. And so with tears in my eyes, I turned to my wife, Debbie, and I says, look, things are going to change. Things are going to be different. Went to church, was welcomed with open arms. I mean, it's, it sounds a bit corny, but it's a bit like the prodigal son, you know, went home after being in a pit and was welcomed home by family. But that's exactly how it happened. And, and it was great. And I never really looked back since then. After a year or so back in the church, I said to Debbie, look, if we're going to do this, we need to do it for real. We need to do it for life. I don't want to just live one foot in faith, one foot in the world. I'm thinking about ministry here. I want to really do this for the rest of my life. And she fully supported me. And with the support and love of the church, we went on a journey that took us into ministry. So yeah, down to studies at NTC and the rest of his history. Talk to us a little bit about the church that you're at right now and what kinds of things that you're doing and what it's like to be an associate pastor in Northern Ireland. Yeah, so um, associate pastor at the Carrick Fergus Church in Nazarene, they found themselves in a unique position five years ago when their senior pastor was elected as district superintendent and they were reluctant to let him go. So they came up with a, a model for leadership uh, for ministry that, that's quite unique, maybe it's not unique, rare, definitely, um, because Philip remained as the senior pastor as the, of the Church of Nazarene in Carrick, and uh, they employed me as a full-time associate pastor. So I do more hours than him, um, but he's still the senior pastor, which is great for me and has been great for me because, I mean, get this, I, I get to do all the quintessential pastor and stuff. I get to preach regularly at least once a month uh, once a week sorry at least once every single week sometimes more because Philip's traveling a lot of the time um, I get to do the bulk of the visitation I, I get to sit with Philip on a weekly basis and plan the leadership and the strategy of the church um, but when the tough stuff happens when the crisis come I get to, to give all that to the senior pastor and he gets to deal with it it's great it's a great position there's no two days the same yeah. all right there's no two days the same so it probably changes seasonally, all right? I discovered my new favourite quote recently, and it says this. I crave spontaneity until I become overwhelmed, and then I crave routine until I get bored, and then I crave spontaneity. That, that sums up my ministry. That completely sums up the rhythm of my ministry, okay? So um, there are times when ministry is so crazy my favourite thing to do in ministry is to close my office door, open my Bible and just pray and be in the presence of God and, and that's great. However, there are times in my ministry where I want to be out in the street with the people, sitting down, holding someone's hand, um, perhaps as they even weep through a difficult situation and say, look, God is here with you and in through this. And to see them believe that and to see them find comfort and strength in that. That, that yeah it kind of changes but yeah I suppose all of it yeah it's great it's great um what is happening at Carrick Fergus right now that you're really excited about yeah so yeah there's a, there's a few things going on when I, when I first joined the church they were a fairly middle class church that's not a good thing or a bad thing it just is what it is you know group of middle class people worshiping Jesus and they did but I mean we, we, we felt a heart to kind of reach uh 
kind of wider spectrum, I suppose, of the of the social uh, ladder, you know, um, particularly the poor. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, some people don't agree with that theology, but I believe Jesus favoured the poor. I, that, I just believe that. I, I can't see it any other way in Scripture. So, so we were very intentional about reaching out to, to poor and vulnerable people in our society and our community. And uh, one of the things that we did is we partnered with an organisation called Women's Aid, who are a society who support women who suffer from domestic violence. They give them an out and they support them in that decision to leave their current situation. Um, when I say we partner with them, we, we, we simply give them a space to meet in our church. That was it. They're a, they're a fairly confidential group, as you can imagine. But over time that developed, a group of ladies started to make lunch for them. Part of our church, some of the ladies in our church make them lunch. And, and from that, relationships were built. Trust was built. And so prayer requests would come in from time to time. Those ladies, part of Women's Aid, would, would get to, would allow the, the lunch ladies to pray over them. Um, there would be times when they would ask for a pastor to come in and pray over them. Some of them started coming to church. Some of them gave their life to Christ, turned their life right around. Some of them are still part of our church. One lady in particular is on our church board at the minute, and she's now driving us forward as a church to reach more vulnerable people, reach more poor people, reach more voiceless people in our community. And, and that's great. That, that's really exciting to be a part of that. Mm, that's awesome. Um... I'm just curious if you could tell us about what it's like to be a part of the Church of the Nazarene in Britain. Yeah, I mean, we get that the Church of the Nazarene is a worldwide family. We also get that it's based in the States. Um, and, and and sometimes that has an effect on us in the UK, and, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, I mean, I believe that there is no church other than the local church. And so no matter what's coming out of the States... Um, uh, what's going on in the Church of Nazarene worldwide has little to no effect because we need to focus on the people we're serving in the community of Carrick Fergus. However, sometimes there are some noises coming out of the States that do, do concern us from time to time, or at least concerns me from time to time. So, for example, um, I suppose fairly recently, the last couple of years, th there was a couple of instances surrounding a couple of our schools in the States where some high-profile uh, and it seemed well-received and well-loved professors were demoted, removed for being controversial. Um, now, some details of those situations were posted on social media, and so we had access to that, and when we read it through, it seemed really unfair, it seemed really unjust, it seemed... Uh, it, just, it just seemed really, really poor. It, it came across very right-wing, conservative, um, you know, one was around kind of supporting armed forces the other one was around kind of evolution versus creationism and and, 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 and and the decisions seemed to be made from a kind of right wing perspective and, and that kind of worried me um, now don't get me wrong um, if someone was to come to me part of my congregation and, and they said you know I'm going through this crisis and all the details are on social media and that's where I've got all my information and facts I would say social media is a very poor outlet for, for information and facts so remove yourself for that however I did get an opportunity to, to speak to a general superintendent following one of our district assemblies one time but I have to say I was disappointed with the response I got it was very much like there's more going on than, than you need to know and you just need to trust that we made the right decision. Um, I, I wasn't too pleased with that, particularly because I know and love some people who are closely associated to the, the situations and had more information, and, and, and I know and trust 
their responses and yeah so yeah that, that, that kind of stung a little bit yeah however I do love the Church of Nazarene they are my family and the Church of the Nazarene is not perfect just like my own biological family isn't perfect now let me tell you about my own biological family I could tell you all the embarrassing stories I could tell you all your flaws but the minute one of you guys start talking about my family and pointing out our flaws I'm, I'm going to defend them you know that's how I feel about the Church of the Nazarene and just like my own biological family I wouldn't change my spiritual family for the world not perfect need to change in some areas but I would rather be the change from the inside than be the guy who leaves and points out all the flaws from the outside that, that's how I see it that's how I see it I love the fact that the Church of the Nazarene is uh, big enough to be worldwide um, I mean we boast about how many countries we're in I don't have those stats to hand but, but we do You know, we, we have a worldwide influence and, and that's great that's something to be proud of but we're small enough to feel like family, you know, and so um, there's the old joke, you meet a new Nazarene and there's always someone you have in common that you both know, you know, you know that's, that's, that's what we do. And we're small enough to, to feel like family and I love that about it, love that about it. Um, so I got to be part of General, General Assembly three years ago and uh, it was sitting around... Uh, a lunch table we went to Chick-fil-A where else do you go at lunchtime in the, the General Assembly um, and there was about 20 of us around the table and, and a friend of mine who's a, a missionary in Eastern Europe turned to me and says is this your first assembly Michael I said yes she says do you enjoy it and she was she was quite cynical about it um, and, and I said yeah I am and she was surprised at my answer because uh, some of the discussions that were going on in the, in the actual assembly were quite tough and and, and and maybe a wee bit depressing as well but I said to me that's not the assembly and I looked around the table and I said this is the assembly for me this is an opportunity for us family scattered around the world to get together and be together and that's church that is our church at the end of the day yeah there's tough stuff that's debated um, in the assembly yeah there's decisions made that I don't agree with yeah there's maybe even stuff that I would say our injustices in our church you know with regards to power sharing with regards to how we spread our resources I, I don't know but at the end of the day I, I love the church of the Nazarene it's, it's my family and I, and I will fight from the inside to, to bring about change as opposed to to point from the outside what would you say to somebody who is thinking about going to the general assembly but isn't sure if they want to go yeah, go go and enjoy it. I mean, someone explained it to me as it's like Disneyland for Nazarenes. Now, I, you might hate that. You know, you you, you 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 might you might hate that. That might even put you off. But but like I say, um, the, the stuff going on in the actual assembly that will make your heart wrench. You know, you, your church will make decisions that you don't agree with. Um, but you get to be with your church family you're scattered all over the world you will meet new friends you will catch up with old ones you haven't seen for a long time you will worship with up to 10,000 people alright now I wouldn't recommend that every single Sunday that's not my flavour of church but to do it every once in a while I think is a beautiful thing to realise you're part of something bigger and that's awesome to do that every four years love that so absolutely go absolutely go um, be open minded um, take off your cynical hat take off your critical hat and and just, just go and enjoy it um, Mark Holcomb um, NYI General President 
just just before uh, David last David Gonzalez took over, he said something that really stuck with me um, in the middle of the the NYI assembly. We were making a tough decision, and before we went to a vote, he said, "Listen, we do this together or not at all." And I thought, "Wow, that's wise. That's really wise." And any time a decision doesn't go my way in the Church of the Nazarene, I think about that. We do that together or not at all. Um, what gives you hope for the future of the Church of the Nazarene? Your strongest point as a church, the thing that gives me hope for the Church of the Nazarene going forward is a sense of community and family. That speaks a lot more powerful than any of our doctrines, any of our churches, even any of our areas where we are doing missions. A sense of family. So, for example, when I went to NTC, there was a couple of non-Nazarenes that, 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 that were studying there in first year, and they were very, very uh, cynical and critical of the Church of the Nazarenes' doctrines, things like entire sanctification and those types of things. Four years later at graduation, those guys were members of the Church of the Nazarenes. Had they changed their minds on the doctrine of entire sanctification? No, they hadn't. But what had won them over was uh, the sense of family and community of the Church of the Nazarene, uh, and I think that's unique to us. In saying that, there are a couple of conversations on the horizon that I think threaten that. Um, things like homosexuality, some of the, the, the political debates happening in the States, immigration, these types of things. Um, that worries me a little bit. But my prayer is, is that's not going to divide us because the thing that unites us is so much stronger than the thing that divides us. Um, and, and let's not allow these issues to divide us because... Your sense of community and family, I think, is your strongest asset as a church in Nazarene. Well, I really appreciate you talking to me today. You are very welcome. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Yeah.